The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, episode 25. This week's episode is brought to you by Agents of Cult, Volume 1, Recipe for Destruction. Written by Sean Pryor, featuring the artwork of Andrew Charp. The creators of Mercury and the Murder and Tales of the Cornerstone bring you the centered order of law and technology, Cult, a paranormal science defense organization protecting the universe from evil and villainy of all sorts. Read the adventures of Commander Milo and his agents of Cult Assault Team along with the action-packed outer space excitement of Black's Danger in Space. This can be yours for only $6.99 at DCB Service and HeroesCorner.com. And everybody who purchases a copy will receive a free head sketch by artist Andrew Charpar. Agents of Cult, Volume 1, Recipe for Destruction, on sale now at DCBService.com and HeroesCorner.com. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor, a.k.a. Stan Leroy. This week's show, John Carroll and I have a conversation with webcomics creator, writer, and artist Patrick Lewandowski. Patrick is well known for his webcomic Freaks and Squeaks, which can be found at FreaksandSqueaks.com. That's the letter N in the middle with two E's on the word squeaks. FreaksandSqueaks.com. We talk about creating webcomics, and we also talk about his Kickstarter project comic called Terminal Life. If you want to take a gander at the Terminal Life project, hop on over to TerminalLifeComic.com. Afterwards, I then interview creator, artist Adam Talley. Adam has been self-publishing comics since the age of 16, and we have a good talk about self-publishing, getting your books out for the people to see, uh, wearing multiple hats, and um, we also talk about some 80s movies that we enjoy. You can find out more about Adam by visiting his website at idiothead.com. That's all one word, idiothead.com. But before we get to the interviews, I have some things that I need to talk to you about. Over the past few weeks, some of our favorite um, uh, media stars have passed away, and that includes the legendary artist Frank Frazetta, uh, Peter O'Donnell, the creator of Modesty Blaze, um, jazz singer and actress and activist Lena Horne, and one of my favorite MCs of all time, Guru, from the legendary hip-hop group Gangstar with uh, DJ Premier. I definitely want to talk more and wax and wax poetic on all this stuff at a later time because I want to make sure that they get ample time and my and my ample thoughts to really say how I feel about all these people because they're very inspirational and very influential to me in a lot of ways. Um, after we get done with the PKD Black Box in the month of May, because of my heavy comic schedule and everything else that's going on, the podcast will become bi-weekly in June. Doesn't mean that the episodes will be shorter. That's just we're just going to go with a biweekly thing because then that gives me more than enough time to get out great episodes and great content every other week for you, the listener. Once again, not pod fading. I just need to centralize things because I wear a lot of hats. So it just makes it easier for me and it's going to make the podcast a lot more fun, too. So I hope that you understand that. I hope that you continue to listen to the show. And as I said before, I, there are a lot of things I want to talk about, and this also gives me the time to formulate my thoughts and put those out um, when we make the show bi-weekly. So I hope that you understand that. But we're still going to have good times. We're still going to have a lot of fun. Donnie will still hop on the show. John will hop on the show. We'll have plenty of guests. And John Carroll will still do his Carroll Chronicles. Donnie Salvo will still do his Tales from the Attic 
attic podcast. So it's still going to be good times. I just got to not <laughs> make myself so thin. So I'm just trying to make myself just a little bit more centralized. And I think that'll make everything better for all of us. With comic book conventions in full swing, I figured I'd tell you the next couple of stops you can see some people that have done work for PKD Media. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, this weekend, if you head out, if you live in the Connecticut area, there's the um, Comic Con, and that's with two N's. Um, my good buddy and uh, podcast co-host uh, from time to time and host of the Tales from the Attic podcast, Donnie Salvo, will be out there representing the Reality Wasted podcast and the PKD Black Box in Tales from the Attic podcast. As you all know, Donnie's a really big comic book fan, so it only feels right for him to be out there. So if you see him, say hi, stop by, talk to him for a bit. Also, artist and writer Luke Foster, who does the webcomic The Gang from the Store, will also be at the Comic Con as well. So if you want to talk to him, he'll be there. Now, next week, um, Mar- I'm about to say March, <laughs> May 22nd, I will be at the Summit City Comic Con in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, I'll have PKD Comics there. I'll have some Mercury in the Merge, some Agents of Cult, other goodies, all types of stuff. So I will be there May 22nd. And then after that, a couple weeks later, I will be at Heroes Con with artist Chad Ciccone and artist Andrew Charpar. We will have all types of special deals for you at Heroes Con, but that's a little bit away. So I'll tell you about that later. Also, I almost forgot. If you're out at the Comic-Con in Connecticut, go stop by Adam Wallena's table. His nickname is Illus. He's an artist. He has done um, art for the Public Enemy comic books that came out um, over the past two years. I actually have, a co- I have one of the trades right here. I love it. And he is also an MC as well. Has, has some pretty fat beats and some pretty, some pretty tight lyrics. So go check him out. Adam Wallena a.k.a. Illus. He is also at the uh, Comic-Con in Connecticut this weekend. Uh, Hopefully, I will be able to interview him for the PKD Black Box sometime in the near future. So that is what's going on convention-wise. And now, on with the show. John, is it cool if I take first question, sir? Knock yourself out. Oh, thank you very much. Patrick, can you tell the people or the listeners a little bit more about Freaks and Squeaks? I've been reading it, and I actually um, read uh, one of the storylines with Jenny and is it Schmoikel? Schmoikel, yeah. Schmoikel, yes. I read that storyline and actually got a really big kick out of it. Can you tell the people about Freaks and Squeaks? Well, Freaks and Squeaks, I've been doing it. It'll be, it'll be uh, seven and a half years. It'll be eight years, actually, in Oct- October that I've been posting it. But it started off um, when I was in a seminar with Scott McCloud. I, I, was in this, I was in this seminar. We're making comics. And I was sick the entire week. I actually had, like, bronchitis. I had, like, this 100-degree fever. And, and I'm, I'm not going to miss this class because it's Scott freaking McCloud. <laughs> And so for our final project, we had to we had to make a, a two page comic, basically of whatever. And uh, in my fever induced state, I had been watching a lot of Daria, and uh, the the genesis of the project was he was going to give us everyone was supposed to bring in a random object, and we all switched objects, and we had to make a comic with uh, involving that object we got. And I got a Lego plane, 
And so I was thinking of like the mouse and the motorcycle, like you know, a lot of these like there were like, like mice and and you know my fever induced state. They're they are heavily influenced by Daria, especially at first, where they're just kind of like sarcastic teenagers who 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 you know they knew better. They were intelligent. They were two intelligent girls. So I did my first two page comic, and I I was interning that summer for a local cartoonist who was really into doing strips. And when I was working on my degree at MCAD, the Minneapolis College of Art and Design which is where I took this seminar with Scott. When I, when I was doing that, I was majoring in comics, we never really did anything with strips. And so that summer, I got kind of interested in doing, in doing a strip. And so um, it was, I said, oh, I'll just take these mice and I'll work on this for my, my internship project with strips. And then I posted them and people thought they were funny. And so I posted some more and I just kept making them. And 1,600 later or whatever I'm at, uh, I still do it. I didn't know you had that many strips. I, when I looked on your website, and I went all the way back to the beginning, and this was a few weeks ago. I went back to the beginning, and there's a note that says, if you're a new reader, just go ahead and click on the color on, on the color strips because you don't need to go back. But if you want to, you can go all the way back to the beginning, and, you're, you, know, and you can read it either way. So yeah. a, a, reader ne- a reader never feels lost in, e- in either direction. And that was the goal because uh, last summer I thought, oh, I'm going to try doing this in color. Because, um, as some people may may not know, I, I've done a lot of coloring for comics, so not a lot, but I mean, I've done I've done some healthy amount of coloring for comics, and I like working in color. But um, I stopped that because it just wasn't really right for the comic. It, it really slowed it down for one, and it didn't really add anything to it. So that's why there's that whole new color sections. But I thought when I started it in color, I thought, well, man, I have like fifteen hundred of these comics. That's a lot to wade through. The website isn't very good right now. It's old and it needs to be redone. And it's going to be redone this summer, actually. Oh, uh, I have a friend friend who's going to completely redesign it. We're going to move to a comic press kind of template, and so uh, I wanted to give someone, I wanted to give people a better jumping on point. And that's why I have that color section, which tells that story of Ginny and Schmeichel uh, after they've broken up. The um, the alcoholic mother reminds me of the uh, the mother that leads the uh, spy agency in that uh, show Archer. Every time I see her, I'm like, well, it's a mouse, but still, <laughs> it still cracks me up every time I see her. And she's so cruel. She is. She, I actually based her on the mom from Arrested Development because, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love that show. So I actually, like, Googled uh, Jessica Walters' image and, like, I tried to base the mouse on her. And I just always give her the the drink in her hand. And Oh, no. Well, you, just, did, you did a good job with that, definitely. Well, um, thank you. Now, you're, you're, you said you're going to move to a, a comic press site. Now, our site, we run Comic Press. Ma- massive thanks to Philip Duncan because without him, our comics would not even be online right now. You'll notice it, it makes things a heck of a lot easier for you. It, 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 really it does. Does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right now I'm on Web Comics Nation because I have a free Web Comics Nation account with unlimited bandwidth, unlimited storage. Because this is actually how I first met Steve Bryant, is we were both at Graphic Smash, part of the Modern Tales family, which became Web Comics Nation, which is now bought out by Comic Space. And so we were both making comics for them once upon a time. It's, that's where Athena Voltaire actually started at, at Adventure Strips and then moved to Graphic Smash when that replaced Adventure Strips. But um, I was one of the first people in on Graphic Smash when I did the twisting. Hmm. Now, I had no idea Comic Space had that kind of paper where they could buy Web Comics Nation. I, you know, I don't know much about the deal. Um, Joey Manley, who was uh, the. I muckety muck of Webcomics Nation and everything. Yeah, they worked it out, and 
there's some venture capital involved and everything's kind of up in the air still i mean this is like two years ago i think this is and we're just starting to see some effects now like where there's they're gonna be moving everything to like a comic uh press type of wordpress sort of thing for webcomics nation graphic smash modern tales girlomatic has been moved first actually One thing I noticed on the Freaks and Squeaks site, when you click on the cast, there is a massive slew of characters. <laughs> yeah, in, this in this comic. Now, do they all intertwine, or is this more of like an anthology type series, just that has a ton of characters in it? It's. I, it I, just, I, was, I was gonna yeah. say, or is it just they popped up here once? It's a little bit of everything. It's it's kind of like The Simpsons, in that you could have like. Yeah, you know, all these people and everything like that. These little, but every once in a while, maybe they get their own, they get their own story or something. And so, basically, if anyone who's ever appeared gets a, gets a gets a mention in in the in, and it's a I'm trying to do it wiki style, and I obviously have not updated it, and it's not very well maintained. And that's one of the things I'm hoping to eventually change. But yeah, so mainly it follows. There's really this core cast of Jenny and Janice, and they're just two intelligent and articulate teenage girls. And they're not really based on anyone per se, but you know, there's the stereotype for teenage girls of kind of being vapid pop culture idiots. And I have a lot of teenage nieces, and they are nothing like that. And so I kind of want, I want to have like a role model, role model characters, and based on like how I know teenage girls to be. Yes. And so there's there's Ginny and Janice, and then there's there's Al, who's a, a boy genius character who. Um, gets involved in all sorts of shenanigans and whatnot there's then he connects to the he used to know he used to go to high school with the girls actually but then he got kicked out of their high school now he's in elementary school where a little kid belongs uh with uh with actually jenny's sister janie and then there's uh there's a lot of political stuff too then i like originally when it was was during the george w bush years so there was tex he was prez and now uh, Barack Obama-rama is president. <laughs> uh, now, have you had any... When any time you would... Death uh, threats? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that answered that question then. No problem. <laughs> when I'm going to s- openly steal this from where I actually first heard about the Kickstarter program, where did you really get into comics reading as a kid? Comics reading? Oh, gosh. It was just always a part of my life because I... Um, I have a brother who's 13 years older than me, and he was always reading comics. And so he'd read them, and he'd bring them for me, and I'd read his. And then eventually I started buying my own. He Actually, he started buying when I was, like, could barely read. Like, probably first grade, he was buying me the Transformers comic Marvel had coming out. And he was a, and so he, he was a smart man for doing so. Sorry. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and, and this is in 88, 89? Probably before that, 86? Oh, God. 85? Yeah. So I mean I I don't think I could even read the first ones he got me. He I think they were actually read to me. And then like the the He-Man figures all came with mini comics. And so that I mean just comics were everywhere and we had all these you know the pocket Snoopy books. Uh, oh, books. I had those. I loved those. Yep. Yep. And so that, that that's just the first the first comic and then after Transformers my brother bought me the original black and white Ninja Turtles. Woot. So I have yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the first comic I ever bought was Amazing Spider-Man number 363, I think it is, with the first appearance of Carnage. Don't know if that's good or bad. 
Well, that just that just tells you when I got in. That's that was the first thing because I was like, Venom is awesome. Oh, here's the spawn of Venom. Rock on! <laughs> Don't say spawn. And then, oh wait, and, wrong. And then, and then I was like, I, there was an article in the newspaper that his parents are coming back. I'm like, well, I can't stop reading now. And another one of my brothers had given me all his 80s comics. It's like all the 80s X-Men and everything that he had gotten when he was in the army and he didn't have space for them anymore. So I had like 80s Iron Man, 80s Spider-Man, 80s X-Men, all these 80s Marvel comics. I just read like X-Factor, the original X-Factor. That was like my favorite. Oh, that's a real good. That's a that's a real good run to have right there. Yeah. A good yeah. stuff. And like oh, with the 80s Iron Man, was that some of the, uh, did you have some of the Bob Layton and some of the Luke McDonald stuff? I can't remember now. It was it was Silver Centurion Armor Wars. Oh, you era. had oh that one. Okay, yes, that was that's like the Mark Bright era right there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love. Yeah, that. it was like right before right before that, during that, and then after that with the yellow and gold again. Mm-hmm. West Coast Avengers, uh, Mockingbird killing what's his face, and um, all that pandemonium or something like that. Or yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, good memories, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of West Coast Avengers, a uh, little quick side tangent. Went to a con this weekend. This one guy had 50-cent books. Uh, I, if I had wanted to, I could have got almost a complete run of Adventures of Superman and Superman. And, but also almost about 70, 75 issues of West Coast Ooh. from one to the end. And I did get something that you would like, uh, Sean. What's that? The Crisis tie-in for All-Star Squadron for 50 cents. I did pay for that. Yeah, that's awesome, though. <laughs> that is great. Okay, let's, yeah, um, let's say, when did you really start drawing, Patrick, as you uh, thought of hardcore? Hard, well, I always knew I wanted to make comics. I mean, that was, I mean, that's, that was like the thing, like, I want to do this. This is awesome. And so, like, I, I was drawing all throughout high school. I drew, this, I drew this superhero named Hype, and actually, that was my, my bachelor's work. At MCAT, I did a webcomic, a, 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 a infinite canvas webcomic. Uh, I think it's, I think it's like eight episodes of hype uh, with a superhero comic about this teenage kid in the '90s who is the first person on the in the world he thinks to have superpowers, and he just so he goes out and he doesn't really have much of a costume at first. He's like in t-shirt and jeans and he like mask. And he like has he makes a little symbol on his shirt with like a magic marker. And he's out there, but he has like superpowers. He has like electricity powers. And I think it was because I think when I created him, it was a combination of um, a friend of mine had just had a seizure, and so I was really like, really interested in how seizures work. And so that's how you had hype get his powers because it was like about electricity in the brain short circuiting, and so that's why he had electricity powers. And then um, also I really like static at the time, so totally white static ripoff. But that was so that was what I did, and then. Um, back in 1995, when I was a freshman in high school, I, I started making a zine called Incoherent that I self-published with my with my inkjet printer, and I would draw for like the cover of that, and then I and then it would be like 20 pages of text. <laughs> but I'd write stories, and other people would write things in, it, and I'd publish it and sell it to m- people in my high school. And that's and then I said, okay, I'm going to go into comics. And I went to college, and I learned. I, I in theory, I should have learned how to draw. Um, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a great draftsman. I I admit that quite readily but i think i'm a pretty good uh cartoonist and storyteller so that's that's what i would say i'm i'm more my skill set is is building into nowadays
Now, with you doing this trip, uh, uh, Freaks and Squeaks, I've noticed, I, because, like, say, for instance, with us, we do, like, I do, I write regular comics, and we just chop them down and put them on the internet. So it's an entirely different thing than a, than a standard strip. Do you feel that there's a big difference between writing for writing a strip and writing a regular comic? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question, because, um, like, Freaks and Squeaks, I don't, like, write a script at all. I just sit down and I just draw it and then I put words in as I'm working on it and all that stuff and then like I do Fun Factory and that was still a graphic smash like my actually my my avatar for Skype is Mr. Fantastic from Fun Factory and I created that with a friend of mine uh, Chuck Clark and we would we, that one we actually script out together and that's that's a really different process uh, just writing with two a, a second person you know and then um, when I did Ace is High over at Graphic Smash I would script that out and someone else would would draw it so process wise i've never done like the same thing twice but i I think i find that like um a script is okay but um because you especially like if you kind of learn how your artist is going to function you can kind of like write for them um and you can also kind of write in in a way that like they'll give you what you need more than what you want I think is, is kind of the thing. But, like, when you're just doing it yourself, like, when I'm doing a Freaks and Squeaks, I can only do things that I know I'm capable of doing. So I'm, on, I'm still writing for my artist, but now it's a much worse artist <laughs> uh, in that respect. <laughs> Although Google Images are my friend. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, what's Google Images? For, for those, like, because I'm just a writer. I'm not an artist. Yeah, break it down for me. Google so Images, I- it's just Google, but it's, it searches images. And so, like, if I need to draw something and I don't know how to draw it, I can just type it in, and and honestly, I can just bring it right over. I draw like freaks and squeaks in Illustrator. I can pop it right into Illustrator and just draw over it, like light table it over it. Oh, and yeah, it's awesome. you, I was gonna say, yeah, if you look, if you do a Google search, it's like the second or third. It's like the third or fourth tab. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, you can just click images and bam. So that's yeah. that's a good way to like, get poses. I also have Poser actually which i've used for things too for for po- and and that's not as good but in if if i can't find something or i need to make a weird camera angle or something i can use poser too which it's a 3d modeling program oh no i i, I used it a long time ago long, long time <laughs> ago when when i thought i was going to be doing 3d animation or doing a 3d or 3d cgi type comics and stuff like that back in the late late 90s early 2000s uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm gonna do. That's my future right there. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> well, I was so so wrong. Do you ever see a time where, you know, you you're doing freaks and squeaks, you do Fun Factory, you're doing all types of stuff. Do you ever see a time where you say, you know what, it's time for me to close up shop or freaks and on freaks and squeaks or Fun Factory, or do you see your titles? as infinite <laughs> probably every day i say oh my god i have no idea what i'm going to draw i should just close it up <laughs> i have this goal of freaks and squeaks i'm going to do at least 2000 okay. and um part of it is because i have i have these books and like i have a, a big thick book that contains the first thousand that was published by um micro press america uh, out, of, out of ohio Get, they created an imprint just for comics just for that book called Esotericos Books but um, <laughs> which was kind of cool uh, in theory we were going to always do more but I don't know what happened to that we were always going to do more comics with it but we never have and so they, they said basically anytime I self-publish if I want to use the name I can so I guess it's now my publishing imprint but I don't anyway um, <laughs> but uh, so I thought oh another thousand would be good <laughs> 
Cool. We'll see. I I don't know. Oh, you got it in you. <laughs> you I, I probably yeah, and then I always have a hard time. So it's kind of like I I have a feeling like if I ever did another strip, it would just end up being Freaks and Squeaks. Kind of like um, Berkeley Breeze just always kind of ends up doing Bloom County because yeah. I, I I I see it as like um because Freaks and Squeaks does everything. <laughs> it does science fiction. It does politics. It does relationships. It does you know it just it goes everywhere. And so there's really nothing I can't do with it. And seeing that's yet another reason for you to keep doing it forever as long as you want to. Yeah. You know, see, yeah. you haven't pigeonholed yourself. You're okay. You're, <laughs> you're okay. You're fine. You have nothing to worry about. Think about it. You've got a massive amount of comics on your site right now. And the fact that yeah. you've been able to do this for this long of a period of time, of like for a minimum of like two days a week. Yeah, that's that was, that was during the color. It was two days. Okay. And now, I mean, at, at one point, I, I always give myself like challenges. Like every every time I hit the another anniversary, I always think, okay, what's this next year going to be? What's like the thing to do with it? And one year, I said I was going to make a comic strip every day. I was not going to miss an update. Hmm. And I think I only missed one day out of the 365. And that was when I was counting down to 1,000. That's pretty impressive. And, yeah, I remember you um, pimping that on uh, CGS back in that back then. Yeah, I think that was like 2006, maybe. Yeah, something like that. And so I said, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just go every day until I, and so I'm not gonna stop. And and then like and then like last it was a couple of years ago, I did. I said I'm gonna do one year long story, which was Sad Little Life, which is the latest book collection. And so I did one story that took an entire year and had like beginning middle end and was like structured out i didn't script it but like i, I kind of outlined where i wanted to go with it and so, so that's kind of like then last year I was like okay i'm gonna do the color okay that sucked i hated that <laughs> <laughs> so then this year i was like okay it's gonna be back to basics <laughs> that was this year's goal <laughs> yeah, well what i noticed when i was reading the strips like the difference between the color and your black and white strips even though i liked the color strips i thought they were fine because the story itself sold me and made me want to keep reading when the color strips ended and it went back to black and white, the black and white artwork definitely showed a crisper detail, and it and you're able. To, I was able to see all your artwork. It wasn't as if the color was covering up your artwork, if you know what I mean. And, yeah. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, and please don't see it as. Oh disrespect. no, I, I I totally agree with you. I, I I learned so much from doing it in color. That was what was crazy about it. It's like I learned more about how to make the comic by make, making myself do it in color. And I, I get my color Jones out of me when I do Fun Factory, so it's, it's, it's all worked out for the best. Do you want to go ahead and start talking about the Kickstarter project? Oh gosh, I would love to. I'm doing a project at Kickstarter.com, and uh, I made, I created, I, I got a domain name to make it easy to link to, which is TerminalLifeComic.com. So if you go to that, it'll redirect to the Kickstarter page. But what this is is, um, when I was nine years old, my father was diagnosed with lung cancer, and then had surgery and had a, like a lung removed, and his other lung wasn't in too good of shape either. I grew up with basically a terminally terminally ill parent. He was in and out of hospitals for nine years until he died uh, just a few weeks after I turned eighteen, actually. And so this is this is something like I've 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 never really been able to talk about, never really write about, never really. Create, being able to create or even just talk with like people about before this semester i just finished my master's in english and um this semester i was in a memoir class and i, I started writing a lot of this and my teacher who i've had for like fiction writing in other classes she said you know this is the best thing i've ever written 
And like last year, I wasn't ready to write about it, but now I'm ready to tell this story about growing up with uh, a cancer patient as a parent and kind of the things that, I mean, it changes my life. So Terminal Life is the name of the graphic novel memoir I'm working on. And this is the Kickstarter project. I, I'm trying to fund this um, basically enough, not just to print it, but enough to also to give me, so I won't have to like uh, go to work full time. I can actually spend time at home drawing the comic as well. And um, so I, I, we have 16 days to go as of uh, May 5th when we're recording this. But basically this thing ends on May 21st at midnight uh, Central Time. And if you go there, you'll see a video. I'm gonna, in the video, I read actually a part of the text memoir and that I'm basing this off of. And what my goal is with this comics is just talk, talk about that first year when I was nine and growing up, rural Minnesota, 1989, one of my parents becomes terminally ill and how this kind of just all changes my life forever, <laughs> very dramatically. There is no going back to that normal family structure that it seemed like everyone else in the small town had. This actually hit close to home to me because my mother was diagnosed with what turned eventually turned out to be quasi-terminal. She was uh, went into remission when I was 13, diagnosed when I was 9, went into remission when I was 13, but due to the cancer drugs and everything because she was experimental stuff back in the late 80s with what she had, it did eventually kill her immune system and she eventually did die of complications. Not the cancer, but complications and that's why when I heard you on CGS and I was like, okay, this is something that I think we need to cover because I think, A, it's important, B, it hits close to home, and that's one reason why I donated. And I said to Sean, we need to get that. We need to talk about this. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, um, it, it's it's one of those things. It's it's really – I thought like I, you, know, you feel like very alone and unique, especially – you know, a small rural town in the late '80s, early '90s. You know, where people just don't talk about things. <laughs> yeah, a small you know, now, rural town. A small rural town in Tennessee. For me, same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't talk about this, but I, and that's one of the things. I, I'm one of the reasons I'm doing the project. It's not just for me. It's really for other people, also to be able to see. You know, I'm hoping that like other people who are who have kids are going through this are going to be able to share this with their children or maybe who went through this as themselves be able to help them. One of the things I'd like to do, and I'll make, I'll make the announcement on your show here, is uh, I've, I've, I would like to donate proceeds to a charity from the book. And so uh, I have a $6,000 goal for Kickstarter, but if I can get past $6,000, every $100 I get past 6000 I will donate 50 to a uh, cancer support charity for children. And the one I'm looking at currently for doing this is called Kids Cope. At, uh, I believe it's kidscope.org. Let me double check on that. And that's, yeah, kidscope.org. And that is a, a specifically for children of cancer patients charity. That is very noble, sir. And that's, that's my goal. So once if we get past the $6,000, um, then I'm going to be donating. And then um, when the book comes out, I, am, I haven't crunched the numbers yet, what, what pricing is going to be. But I'm guessing at least a dollar from every book sale I'm going to donate as well. Because uh, there, there wasn't, I don't think there was any like support groups back in 1989. And if there was, no. we just, you know, it just... Uh, but n- now, I mean, and that's, I mean, it's a pretty traumatic thing, actually. I mean, it's not, not to, uh, and it's, I'm not saying that to be like, oh, feel sorry for me or anything like that. But I'm saying that just people are still going through these sort of things. I mean, it doesn't have to just be cancer. It's just anytime there's a sick parent. Well, yeah. we, we've hit a different age uh, due to the Internet and, and increased. I don't want to say, what's the word I'm looking for? Give me a moment. Let me think of the awareness. word. Awareness. Yeah, yeah, awareness. Yeah. I mean, we have actual stations, like television stations and cable stations, 
that are health specific now. For example, there's a show called D Life, which is literally about people that um, have diabetes and how they live with having diabetes and things of that nature. Now, granted, that's different than the situation when someone is terminally ill, but there's we're, we're talking more about these types of things now. It's more open. You know, it used to be back in the day, something like that, you kept it in, you know, it was kept in-house because either people didn't want other people knowing their business or people just didn't, like you said, understand how to really talk about it. So I think something like this is important. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just it. I mean, we just, you know, you didn't talk about these things back then. Like my own father, he didn't go through any kind of therapy. Or, I mean, he went from a, a farmer who was outside active every day to being able to barely breathe and you know being bedridden a lot of the time or have, if he went anywhere he was in a wheelchair because he couldn't didn't have stamina to walk now the first thing the doctor would probably do is say okay we need to get you in therapy because you're going to be depressed because he was depressed i say like my mother went from a woman who ran 10ks to marathons to not being able to walk to the bathroom and th- yeah. yeah that's just it i mean i think i think everyone knows pro- i mean i think whether they you know if so- everyone stops and think they probably know someone who's been affected in a similar situation yeah. If they themselves haven't. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of greater awareness and also with stuff being diagnosed now since the starting in the 80s and on. Oh, yeah. I mean, MRI was brand new. <laughs> I, it wasn't even around, I think, when my father was diagnosed in my area. I mean, it would have been like unheard of to get it. And I mean, so by the time they actually found the, the tumor, it was lar- it was his entire lung. I mean, nowadays they never would have missed that. <laughs> For so yeah, my mother was in the test bed for interleukin and other and uh, a lot of the stuff that became commonplace chemo drugs. So I was like, yeah, great. My mom was a test subject. Great. <laughs> but my, yeah, my dad went my dad went through radiation. And I mean, that was probably what did more damage than anything else at that point, because he got burned. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think and, uh, and, and I was about to say. I was going to say the one thing that also was, I mean, you had both parents and that helped, uh, didn't help in small towns, south, when your mother's divorced from uh, one of the local sheriff's deputies and they didn't get along real well and he's and he was kind of popular but also kind of a shit. So I wasn't exactly real popular in my hometown as it was. And then they're like, well, she deserved it is what one woman actually said to my sister and I. And I think my sister, I had to hold my sister back from attacking this woman. Wow, that is horrible. I don't think anything. I don't think anything was that bad for me. <laughs> um, Judgmentalization, I, I mean, you gotta love it. I don't. I don't think we. I, th- I think in my in my situation, I just didn't want people to know. <laughs> like yeah. I had that like ingrained in me. Like I don't want anyone to know that things are bad. You know, like uh, or anything like that. Things are. Everything is fine. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say this is this few minutes I've talked about. My mom's cancer is more than I've talked to, except for like my close friends and family. So, but, uh, on the book, are you going to go? Did you decide if you're going to go black and white or color? It's going to be black and white. I don't know what color will really bring to it. In one in one sense, uh, in another sense, it's, I mean, it costs a lot more to print in color, obviously. And I think you know, doing freaks and squeaks, my, I think my black and white has really changed. Uh, it's going to be a bit more refined than the freaks and squeaks style, and, and I'm still playing with style. I'm, I, I posted some more character sketches actually tonight, and those are all just pencil ones from my sketchbook while I was bored in class. They don't really reflect um, what finished art would look like, but I, I'm kind of actually 
playing around with drawing in Photoshop still to figure out how it's going to finally look. And maybe next week I'm probably going to post some some more sketches from towards going towards finished art. Now you said you um, you say you did those drawings in Photoshop. Now do you do all your drawing digitally, or is it a combination of pencil and pencil and paper, then some digital? Or I have never worked on paper actually. Wow. <laughs> I have I have always been the digital guy. I just I'm more comfortable when there's an undo button. I I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if it's just like lack of confidence or what, but I just really have a hard time working on paper. And part of it, I think is the magnification too. I, I, I'm one of those people, I zoom in, I zoom out, I zoom in. I, I mean, I'm just constantly, it feels more natural to me that way. Yeah. So in your black and white work, it's hard to tell that it is just because the line work doesn't show a lot of the traditional that you have out of, out of a computer generated. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, and I'm not even using Photoshop for actually freaks and squeaks. It's all drawn in Illustrator, which, um, so it's all vector art, which is the weird thing about it compared <laughs> to... Um, Compared to most comics, mm-hmm. but I I had no idea. I mean, literally, when I was looking at your strips, I, 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 you know, I figured that the ones that were in color may have possibly been scanned in, cleaned up, and then, and then you know, you you painted them using Photoshop or Illustrator or something like that. But uh, that's pretty impressive, sir. Pretty impressive. yeah. The color ones were all done in Photoshop. All the black and white is done in Illustrator. I love Illustrator. Plus, I really like lettering in Illustrator. Yeah, that's something awesome. that that's something that I'm trying to learn how to do is letter, um, because we've got like a lot of a lot of comics coming out over the next year, year and a half, and I figure you know people are doing the art thing and they're they're providing the artwork, they're providing the story, you know, and I'm writing the stories. Well, all the artwork's done. I'm like, well, what happens next? I need somebody to letter all this stuff. So. <laughs> um, well, really- get the comic craft book to to learn how to letter. Uh, I, I learned my lettering from from Rich Starkings and John Rochelle back at MCAD when they were teaching the lettering course, and then they made a book because of the class. And get that book; it's it's perfect. It's awesome. And you wh- should. What is it called again? The Comic Craft Guide to Lettering Comics, I believe, or something like that. And that, and then get some. Do not use like Comic Sans. You know, go. Go to Blambot or go to Comic Craft, buy some fonts and oh, stuff like that. Oh, that, no, that seen, that's important too. I've seen Blam, <laughs> I've seen Blambot. I've definitely seen that site. Yeah, I, 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 I won't fool with the generic uh, comic fonts. Uh, that's a big no-no. <laughs> yeah. Well, like when I, I actually made my own font for the beginning of Freaks and Squeaks. I was using a font I had made. It was all I don't know. It, I still use it on occasion for some things, but then I, I've in the past. Oh god, I can't remember how. I think maybe two years ago, I moved to a Comic Craft font called Chatterbox for Freaks and Squeaks. So, but I, I just my font, I font I made. I'm not a very good font maker, and I, it wasn't worth it. <laughs> You've been doing this web comic for a while, and I'm someone who I self-publish comics, and I go to conventions, and I have them on sale with a certain online, you know, with online retail vendors and, and things like that. But I'm still learning how to reach out to an audience, how to get an audience's attention online. Um, how has your journey been in re- trying to reach, maintain, or grow an online online audience? Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're honest um, about it. Well, I, I disagree with you, man. You you did work. You had CGS sponsorships on occasion. You're on, and you're all over Twitter, and you've got Facebook. So, I mean, you. I mean, you have you done okay? You've done okay for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's and that's just it. You have to be constantly just on everything. That's that's like the hard part about it is that um, the minute you let go, it, you're you're done. I mean, you have to. I mean, and and 
my readership, I, I, I notice, and this, I, this is the comment I get from a lot of people. So I'm not, I'm not surprised about this. But on any given day, it can be completely up or completely down because people prefer to read Freaks and Squeaks in a spurt. So they will not read it for a few weeks and then go read a huge chunk at once. And so my numbers are just crazy weird. Some days I'll have several thousand. Some days I'll barely hit the thousand. And then I, I, I never really know what my hits are at because Project Wonderful tells me something extremely low, and I think it's because I don't have ads on everything. Uh, I, I think I should. And then my own site tells me another number, and then Google Analytics tells me a third. So I usually just try to average my numbers together. Okay, see, because like we just use Google Analytics, you know, and I'll go through my numbers with Google, with Google and then I'll talk with people, and then sometimes the numbers don't add up on my site either um, because also with the way our site works, with our podcast, people can get it through iTunes, or they can uh, go to our main website, you know, pkdmedia.com, and click on our podcast link, which shoots us, shoots them over to a Podbean page if they don't want to go to iTunes to get older episodes. So I know a lot of people flow through our website that way, but sometimes that traffic doesn't show up. So it's kind of yeah, weird. yeah. And I, I mean, like I have the same thing. Like, um, and I think part of it is like the RSS feed is is where people are getting the comic, and so that's and that's one of the things like. Obviously, um, other like Project Wonderful is not counting that and, and things like that. So, but just Google um, Analytics, and you know that's what I can't tell because Google Analytics you have to tell it a page, you have to put a little code thing counter in your page, and so I don't know if it counts the RSS or not. I don't, I don't think th- it does though. I don't think it does because I know a couple of uh, I actually asked Corsetto Daniel Corsetto and a couple others if why don't they have RSS feeds and they said because I need the page counts from the actual main page for my ad rates so she could because uh, she doesn't do that then her ad rate would just plummet because I know Scott Kurtz Scott Kurtz is the same thing that's why PVP doesn't have an RSS feed really yeah and and yeah I feel like I'm giving it away for free I mean I'm not making any money off the advertising I mean I'm not I mean obviously Project Wonderful is not a huge revenue and I'm and I'm not I don't have enough hits really to get on another a bigger thing I I mean I don't feel like you know I can because like I said it's not consistent one day it can be huge the next day you know, no one cares because <laughs> they're waiting for the. They're waiting for a while. I mean, and I do the same thing with other web comics. Like I, that's how I read Order of the Stick and um, and the Dreamland Chronicles. So I mean, I let can't me fault cor- them for that. I was, I was going to say, let me correct myself. Kurtz does have an RSS feed on there now, especially since he went with the iPad app. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. See, that's the other way. How does that count? How See, that's that just yeah. That's what I don't know. And the thing is, like. Uh, Dave Kellett, I just saw, he has a Facebook thing where he can he can put your comic right into the Facebook feed. It's so, like you can you can get Sheldon right through the feed, and like I got, I'm gonna I'm gonna email him and find out how he does that because I would love it if people could just subscribe right on Facebook and get it in their daily updates. That would be like the best thing for the comic ever. far as comics go um are there besides the dreamland chronicles and the other uh, web comics in, that you've mentioned what other comics are you currently reading right now uh for web comics my my usual well I, there's the four from the half pixel crew and actually this is funny that i say half pixel crew because like a couple of months ago when webcomics.com went to a pay model i actually wrote a pretty scathing blog post 
about, and I think it appeared at, at um, Comics Talk as well, or not, com- yeah, Comics Talk, as well as my own blog about how I think Half Pixel is pretty much over. But um, so I read the, those four comics: Girls, uh, Girls Will Slingshots, Chain Horse, or excuse me, Skin Horse, Skin Horse by Shane and Kay Garrity, who did Narbonic. Um, I love Shane and Kay Garrity. She is the queen of web comics, I think. And she does a beautiful black and white strip always. And it's very funny. And in a lot of ways, I, it's the kind of thing I can as- I, I aspire to, that there's like these really funny stories that are really long. And then um, Sinfest. I really like Sinfest. And um, Not Invented Here by Bill Barnes and Paul Southworth. And that just started this past year. See, I, I like Sinfest as well. And the funny thing about Sinfest is, is that I didn't discover Sinfest until I popped open a copy of Previews um, a while ago, and there was a uh, collected edition for Sinfest through, was it Dark Horse, I think? Something, yeah, I think so. I think it was through Dark Horse. I was like, Sinfest? What's Sinfest? And they're like, you know, this popular webcomic is now collected. And so I just hopped on the web and just like started reading like all day. And, <laughs> I, you know, I'm like, this comic is great. <laughs> it is fantastic. The stuff he does with his Sundays are amazing. His Sundays are just gorgeous, and I, I just absolutely... I just love him so much. I think he's so talented. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, now, see, and, and, and that, that kind of made me want to want to go buy the collected the, the collected edition so I could just have it in book form. But I just keep going back to the site and clicking again and again and again and again and again and again. I I just think it's awesome. Yeah, that's what yeah. I almost. Yeah, I Northland I bought because I say uh, bought the first and was like, this is great. Oh, it's a web comic. Crap! I really want the book instead. So I because I could had like a. 50% off coupon somewhere and I got it. I just want to say as a guy who, you know, sells books that you're not you're not hurting any webcomicers feelings by buying their book. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, it was helping them more. No, I was like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you're not you're not hurting your feelings when you buy our books. It's okay. We let we love that. <laughs> <laughs> no, trust me. I know. From someone who takes it who takes his books out to conventions and uh, attempts to sell them Trust me, I, I I understand. I understand. Buy the books. <laughs> buy the books. Please buy the books. Uh, buy more books. Buy more books. <laughs> I keep thinking every time I hear, I think of you talk about it, Sean. I keep thinking of that episode of uh, the critic. Yeah, where he get, <laughs> where he's like, buy my book, buy my book. <laughs> I love that, that show. show. <laughs> that show is so awesome. <laughs> it was good. Yes, it was. Thank you for the show. pizza, Mister Sherman. The <laughs> 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 Klingon kids. <laughs> No, seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger, seeing Dreidel, 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 I made you out of clay. First time I ever saw that, I looked at my mom. I said, I don't know if I really should be watching this or laughing. Is that right? And she just said, no, it's not. But you can laugh. It's okay. You can laugh. Yeah, love that show. That show really got, really got a bad rap. And, but the funny thing is, is that I'm still amazed at the fact that it went through two networks. Back yeah. then, because back then that was something that seldom happened, with with the exception of uh, uh, Sanford from Sanford and Son. I mean, that hopped from network to network. But a cartoon like The Critic, and I think the only reason it was able to make that jump, because it jumped from, was it ABC to Fox or from Fox to ABC? It was from Fox. ABC to Fox. Fox. No, other way around, Fox to ABC. Really? No, no, it started on ABC. Because I thought it started on episode. Fox because the first episode was on Simpsons, where they did. No, no, that's when they brought it over. That's when they brought it over because because the first episode of the Fox series, he says, yeah, I used to have a hit show on ABC for about a week. (laughs) Okay. 
and and that and that was the thing where now granted if it if it wasn't if uh sorry tongue tied if it wasn't for some of the people that produced the show or that were part of the show that helped get the Simpsons up and running I don't think it have been would it would have been able to carry over to Fox if it was just no. if it was produced by anybody else I don't think it, I don't I don't think it would have had any legs to move so, and a lot of those and I was saying a lot of those voice actors then popped up on uh, Futurama yeah 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 that. Those are, that's how it all happened. There you have it. Yeah. yeah, I have a friend who still says I who still pulls the like every other politician. I worship Pan the Goat God. <laughs> <laughs> when Duke was running for yeah, I've got a, his his party salute. How about this? <laughs> uh, that's what the Nazi used. Oh, you think the mind? <laughs> Remember, so, Duke's so formerly Duke's house of chicken and waffles. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> You've got a convention coming up, too, that you're going to be at, right? That's right. Uh, I'm going to be at SpringCon here in Minnesota, 15th and 16th of May. So right after this, this airs, people can come see me and buy stuff. And <laughs> Buy his stuff. Buy his and stuff. I'm such a capitalist. Um, <laughs> uh, and buy, buy my books. And now uh, I won't be able to take Kickstarter donations there because the whole point of Kickstarter is that everything, if it don't, we don't make our goal, you, you don't actually pay. But if people just want to buy, I'll, I'm going to have um, a lot of stuff there, and people just want to buy everything. Every dime I make actually from this, I'm going to give it to my fiancé, and that's going to be the donation she makes. Uh, it's going to be all my fall, fall or spring con revenue. Fantastic. So the more people buy, actually, it will help the project. It'll help me either way. But it, it, that's that that's my goal. Sign. Yes, uh, I, I'm going to bring stuff from Terminal Life there, so people will be able to see the project and go. I'm going to print out cards so people can go to the website and donate too. It's, hey, um, we are we are I think 15% funded, <laughs> something like that. I am not optimistic actually about it getting funded at this point. Well, um, well, just so you know. Steve Bryan and I talked about this um, last week. There's another website called Indiegogo.com. Uh, take a look at that. It's it's similar to Kickstarter. Um, some of the rules are a little different. And if memory serves me right, you may want to double check this just to make sure. If you, even if you don't raise the amount that you want to that you want it to get to get to, they let you keep a percentage. So uh, you, the, yeah. take a look. Uh, take a look and just verify that because I don't want to say, hey, you can do that and then it not happen and then you'd be bummed out. Yeah. So, um, but N-D-I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O.com. But, but yeah, it, it still amazes me with these sites like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, that this stuff is up and running now. I think this really helps us out in a big way. It's okay if Terminal Life doesn't get funded now. Um, I mean, because I, I mean, this, this funding is for working on the project as well as printing. And so... It would just mean that the project would get done that much sooner if everything gets funded. I'm doing a project no matter what, and then um, probably, you know, as opposed to it being done like by November of this year, it would probably be it'll probably be done next November <laughs> of uh, 2011, and then I'll just probably do something else for fundraising for printing at that point. But yeah, I mean, I'm doing a project no matter what, but okay. this is a way to support it happening. Uh, for sure right away as opposed to being put on my back burner and having to be a side project because Freaks and Squeaks obviously is the priority. I'm glad that you are going to go through with Terminal Life regardless. Yeah. Well, and the thing is it's, it's going to be put more on a delay if, if, we don't, if I don't get it funded now because I just got my Master's of Art in English, but I'm going to be going on for the Master's of Fine Art in English after I get married next year. So I, I got a couple of big things coming up, so this would be like the only time I'd be able to devote to it if I don't have to go out and 
work full time. So hint, 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 everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to keep. You just want to continue in school for a long time, don't you? Well, the thing is, I want to teach. I'm actually <laughs> been talking where I went to when did my bachelor's at MCAT. I've been talking to them about teaching because I and that's kind of place I'd want to teach as someplace small. And I, I just kind of want I want to teach comics um, and I want to kind of give back and help other people figure out how to make comics and other creative projects. I was going to say, and what is the podcast? Um, my uh, my nephew, who's a year younger than me, and I, we do a, a podcast called the Weekly Podcast Show. And of course, being called because we call it the Weekly Podcast Show, we almost never do more than two weeks in a row without a break. <laughs> and this time, it's his fault because he uh, his computer broke, so he can't Skype it up. Um, his computer breaks every six months. So it's been scheduled for now, I guess. Um, but we do this thing called the Weekly Podcast Show. And it's not like comic-based or anything like that. It's just, it, it came out of my streams When I would draw my comic, I'd have my stream up. And I'd start, like, people like, oh, I missed it. I'm like, okay, I'll start recording these because people want to hear them and, and stuff. And so then there'd be, like, long sections of silence as I get really into drawing my comic. And so I said, oh, you know, if I had someone else talking with me, then there were, you know, when, I'm, when I kind of phase out, there would be someone else there and there wouldn't be uh, minutes of silence. And so my nephew came on board, and then we, do, we talk about all sorts of things. And we usually do we do a, a segment that's basically a, like um, a ripoff of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. We call Win the News, where we do uh, a news quiz segment. Where We don't have any prizes, though, yet. <laughs> we haven't, we haven't, we've been talking about maybe doing prizes for people, like Wait, Wait, wait Don't Tell Me does. But um, we do that. We ha- we, sometimes there's a monologue. <laughs> uh, but we just talk about current events in the uh, like politics, news, entertainment, just whatever's happened in the week. Okay, so you got the podcast, you got the you got the web comic. Actually, you have two, a couple web comics, couple web comics. But the main hub where everybody can catch you is what site? Freaksandsqueaks.com. All right, and the ba- and the and I don't want to call it the backup, but the other comic that people can see of yours. What what is that com- what is that called again, and where can they get it? That is Fun Factory at funfactorycomic.com. and everything Freaks and Squeaks isn't this one is in that it's very dark humor, it's mean, it's more for adults than children. There's there's f words in it, things like that, um, and it, it's about it's it's the we like to call it the reality of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's a 10-year-old boy was made CEO of a toy company uh, so the toy company could get out of antitrust issues because there's no way the DOJ would go after a 10-year-old and not look like monsters. And so that's what this comic is about. It's, it's, it's a strip about, about Billy Calrissian, his black grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Mr. Fantastic, who was the former CEO and, and and it's highly offensive in that it's we are it's kind of like we're like we're doing like what South Park does where we're trying to offend everybody. So if we haven't offended you, just wait. We're going to get to you eventually. So instead of Oompa Loompas, we have um, tiny Mexican midgets who are illegal immigrants. Who um, these midgets? <laughs> these midgets have been dyed green due to years to exposure to industrial chemicals, and um, the white people in charge refer to them as the Sticky Mickey's. <laughs> It's really offensive. <laughs> um, and so, and then there's Mr. Fantastic's brother, Saul Fantastic-Liski-Niski-Havisky, because um, Fantastic Americanized the name for the company. And so Saul is the CFO. There's the board of directors, which is just this conglomerate of old white men who hate everything. 
And um, the last story that just finished before our little um, break run right now, as we're working on more script, it was called Peace at Any Cost. And the semi-retired, in, 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 that, in that story, a semi-retired Mr. Fantastic decides that he would like to bring peace to the Middle East, because who better? And so he goes and he meets with, with the Israelis and the Palestinians and proposes his idea for peace in the Middle East, turning the whole thing into an amusement park called Holy Land. <laughs> and you can imagine how well that goes. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at the strip right now. They did not like that very much. <laughs> so that yeah, that's that strip is it's it's everything freaks and squeaks, isn't it? It's in color and it's highly offensive. Yeah, you and it's, you had me at Calrissian. Um, <laughs> One one of the one of the stories being scripted right now actually by uh, my nephew Matt from the from the weekly podcast show. He's a lawyer in real life, and so he's he's doing a guest script for um, our our story called Legal Troubles, in which there's like three different lawsuits at once, and one of them is Billy's mom comes back in and decides she wants a slice of the pie too. So that's, <laughs> but this whole thing started out actually as, an, as a pitch for Adult Swim, hmm. and they decided to go with Super Jail instead, and I I can't say they were wrong. <laughs> Because that's a great show, uh, but you know, wait a minute. you were actually able to pitch this to Adult Swim. Yeah, I, yeah, that was like years ago. We pitched this to Adult Swim. <laughs> I've been trying to break in that door for years. That is fantastic. Well, hey, yeah, you, you, you at least you got your foot in the door. <laughs> this is actually the second show we pitched to them. Uh, the first one was an animated soap opera called Convolution Hills, and that one that's still something. I'm thinking about actually doing that as a play someday, maybe. See, learn something I didn't even know. <laughs> I, didn't even, I did not know this. No one tells me these things. That is. Oh, oh, I have a variety of failure in my life. I have, I have failed at things you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even start to think about trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go ahead and wrap this up, sir. Um, All right. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, I appreciate Patrick, it very Patrick, much. Thank it's our you. Pleasure. Thank you for being on the show. Um, thank you for talking about your Kickstarter project, breaking down freaks and squeaks. Fun Factory, once again, you had me at Calrissian. And, um, <laughs> no, it, it was really great. You know what? That sounds like a, like a quote that'd be on the, the back of the book if we ever made a book. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I think that could work. Stanley it, Roy says, you had me at <laughs> Calrissian. <laughs> and then Lucas would sue us the next week. But, um, <laughs> but no. Uh, hey, there's no such thing as bad publicity. No, no, no. Especially, especially for small press folks. Um, yeah. <laughs> Never, never such a thing. But no, Patrick, seriously, thank you for, for coming on the show. And uh, we will spread the word about Terminal Life and Freaks and Squeaks. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. My first question for you, Adam, is... Actually, well, the first thing I found out about you is that you, you started um, doing comics, self-publishing at the age of 16. What yeah. inspired you to take the initiative to do that? I don't know. I think, I think just me starting reading comics around the Death of Superman type of era and, uh, you know, the image boom and everything. And, and I started discovering the, uh, the independent comics movement. I just sort of saw it as really accessible, you know, like something I, I could do, you know, especially when I went to my first convention and I saw people my age, you know, or well, a little older than I was at the time doing that. I felt like, Hey, I could do this. You know, I, I see how this is done. You know, I totally want to be a part of it. Now, what was the very first comic that you published? The first comic I did, well, I did some comics, uh, 
there was a local group on the college campus uh, that would put together this like anthology type thing. And it's like this group of 20 to 25 year old uh, college students. And here I am like a 15, 16 year old kid showing up to each meeting, you know, and submitting work. And, but the good thing is they all did like one story. I did about six or seven with them. So I was really uh, prolific, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but my art, my art wasn't really refined and it was, it was crap back then. But, um, uh, the first thing I did, I self-published was a book called Darkness. This was before the image book Darkness came out. I had my own character, but I chose not to sue them. <laughs> That's a joke. And I, I published that myself. I, I used to have a graphic design class where I uh, ran the offset press. So I did the, uh, I ran the plates and I burned the negatives and I, I printed it all on the press myself. Wow. That then see that now that's like some old school work right there. That's hard work. Right. <laughs> all, all, you know, and, and so you did like all the penciling, inking, lettering, and all that. Yeah, I did. Uh, I've always done it that way. Just uh, you know, I write it, I pencil it, I ink it, and lettered it, and assembled it all myself. And Tim, pretty much, I, mean, I still do that today. You know, even though I let you know, I ship it out to other places to get it printed. You mm-hmm. know, which takes the dirty work off my hands. But oh yeah, but that, I mean, but myself. but in all serious seriousness, though, be, being that versatile not only helps you. Um, in the world of self-publishing, it also can help you get other gigs with um, other either self-publishers, indie publishers, or just publishers, period. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, in college, I take it, if memory serves me correct, you also did a comic called Pleasant Life? Yeah, uh, I when I decided to do comics full-time, I, I thought, well, I live in a college town where not a lot of people read comics, so what could I do? And superheroes was something, you know, it, it's it's cool, you know, to some extent, but I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm a super huge mega fan of it. Um, so I want to do something closer to slice of life slash comedy. Cause it seemed that the stuff that I did when it was related to that always sold way better than my superhero stuff. Uh, so I decided to do a book about the college that I was going to. And I put, you know, my friends in it and, you know, certain locations from the hometown in it. And people locally started to pick up on that. And, you know, they, they bought it because of that. And, uh, but really, you know, if, you, if you're not from the area, you, it's still any town USA. You know, you can pick it up and, and read it and understand, you know. In a situation like that, you, you know, you were also selling the book locally in stores. Like what's, in your opinion, what's the difference now between being a, uh, a self-publisher and putting your comic in the stores back then as opposed to trying to do it now? I think if you, if you got a good local follow, you could still do that. But the fact is, you know, at one point you got to at least try to reach and get some distribution or get some company to look at your work, to get it into other stores, you know, reach beyond your market because, you know, you can be a local, uh, a celebrity locally, but it it really isn't going to get you anywhere because nobody in California knows who I am, you know, nobody, you know, up till that point. So it's like, you got to branch out. And now with the, with the internet, you know, you have the chance to do online stuff and, uh, there's like 9 million different conventions out there. So you have the chance to hit any one of them and, and branch out and, and do this sort of grassroots campaign to get your work out there. So I think it's expanded over time. Absolutely. Now it's to the point where everybody's competing with everybody else just to get a little, just to get people to like look at their websites to look at their comics. And it's, right. it's so massive. I don't think people really understand the number of, creators, writers, artists that are out there on the internet doing their thing. And the thing is, there are billions of people that use the internet every day, but only a small fraction of them actually use the internet to read comics. Yeah, exactly. It hasn't really found its place yet. And the thing also with the independent creators, I mean, anybody could do this. I mean, you see, every year I see, you know, 
every face at the shows, but it's those people that keep doing it year after year after year, they get recognized, you know, like, like my first few years, I started out, I didn't sell very much at all, but then around three to four years into it, people started coming up to my table going, okay, I've seen you here a few times. You're obviously going to stick around with this. So I'm going to go ahead and buy your book now. You know, no, no, <laughs> so you gotta, you gotta get, you gotta, you gotta get through that. Oh, no, no. Trust me. I understand that completely. I, I've been doing con- mm-hmm. conventions, uh, you know, for about two years. And I remember my very first con, there were people that, there were some people that talked to on forum boards and things like that. that came out to see us and bought some books, but there were those, there were some that would look at me and then look at my book and they just, you know, they, they were kind of scared. But when I came back to the same show next year, like you said, they were like, oh, okay, he's here. He's, he's going to be, or hopefully he'll be around for a while. And they bought something. So Yeah. It's all recognition. You know, you gotta, it's like getting the ads in the paper, in the, in the, in the, in the catalogs and in the magazines and stuff, you know, that's what it used to be back in the day. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, that name recognition, you know, like the people see the image. Cause you know, I mean, when you go to a convention, you're bombarded by 9 million different images all over the place. And so when you see something you recognize, you're like, Oh, okay. I know what that is. I've seen that, you know, mm-hmm. oh, especially in the, in the market where there's billions of people wanting your attention. And, and not only that, but you're also dealing with people that have been like indoctrinated with, uh, Marvel and DC comics. So, oh, yeah, and it's and it's nothing against them, you know. Hey, you got the money, do what you got to do to get your share of the market. But it's trying to break that uh, stance of or trance of, you know, either comics are all superheroes or people think that comics are just stuff that you see in a newspaper medium or just trying to make them understand that there's literally a comic for every single niche market, period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of people, I mean. The layman, uh, you say, you know, you, I tell them I do comics, and they're like, well, like Garfield or, well, like Spider-Man or something, and it's, you know, you, you try to explain, explain them what independent or alternative comics are, you know, it takes a bit, but, mm-hmm. you know, when, when, they, when they do figure it out, they're like, oh, cool, you know. Not too long ago at the uh, Comic Geek Speak Super Show, um, I had won an award, and I, and at my job, I posted the award I won on my door. So, you know, some people would stop by, say congratulations, you know, which was really cool, which was really nice, and some people understood. But there was one, there were two people that stopped by on separate occasions, and it was, a, it, it was the uh, Comic Geek Speak uh, Spirit of Comics Award for Super Show. Well, those two people thought that by the word comics, that that meant comedian and comedy so mm-hmm. i had to explain to him like no 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 i'm like you know some of the books we write might you know i write might be funny but it's not i'm not a stand-up comedian i write comic books and they're like oh and then it then it sunk in so <laughs> so that was kind of like a massive disconnect for me because in my mind i'm like well i can tell the i can look and just know the difference between you know comics and stand-up comedy but they couldn't break that yeah exactly yeah, choose your words carefully. Yeah. Describe what you're doing. Oh yeah, definitely, mm. definitely. Lesson learned on my on my part. Now, <laughs> as um, as far as influences go, um, what or who or what things influence you to hop into uh, the world of art and comics? I think it's sort of a blanket statement, but I'll just say that I'm usually inspired by anybody that's creative. You know, I mean, there's certain artists and writers that I follow definitely. You know, and I look to their work as something that I, I'd strive to be like one day. You know, and Instantly, when I started out, I had different, you know, people I looked at, too. But I don't really look at anybody who's jazzed about what they do 
and enjoy what they do, despite the fact, you know, whether they're popular or not, or, you know, a rock star in comics or not, it's, uh, I just, I sort of get, get their vibe and I kind of feed off that, you know, it's like, it's like when you go to comics on Wednesday, you know, as soon as you get them, you're like, oh man, I want to go home and write or draw, you know, you just get so pumped up about it. I mean, same thing going to conventions, you know, you, you just feed off that and you take it with you. You know, I mean, I get inspired by all that stuff, you know, either artists or writers or music or movies, just everything, you know, it's, it can, creates this huge melting pool, you know. I get like that sometimes too, especially when I see, you know, f- people that I've just started talking to locally or like on the comic forums and places like that, oh. where they were originally just fans at first and they see somebody, you know, that just picked up, picked up a pencil, started writing a script, or picked up a piece of paper, and or or have been drawing for years, but never thought that they could do sequentials or pinups or things like that. And they, you know, people would just collaborate to do a comic, which is something that years ago probably would have been an impossibility for them because, as you said earlier, the, the internet changed a lot in the creation of comics. So okay. one thing I've learned about doing this for the past couple of years is that yes, people inspire other people. And, and I'm sure back in the seventies, the eighties and in the nineties, it was the same way, but now it's, I'm not saying it's easy because making comics is not easy. Making comics and comic books, web comics, all that stuff is not easy. And we still haven't broken that train of thought in people's minds because we don't, I, I don't think the general public still has a standard form of art appreciation, so they don't understand the work behind it, so they don't treat it with the respect it deserves, no matter what the medium is. But there's a lot of work behind it. So it takes a lot of inspiration to, you know, say, I'm doing this, and then actually get that project finished. Yeah, absolutely. It takes a heck of a lot of motivation, too, you know, just to keep, keep your head in the game. Yeah, I usually, I never had a problem with that. Uh, because, I mean, it's just what I want to do, you know. I've never sat and had writer's block or artist block or anything. Usually, you know, I'm, if anything, it's time block. I don't have enough time to get done. You know, my brain is, I have a theme song I use. It's one of my bands, my favorite bands called Dream Theater. It's a song called Constant Motion that uh, it's all about, you know, you're always wanting to do stuff and you're you're just in constant motion. And that's that's my theme song, you know. I'm just constantly rolling and thinking of what's next and, it just comes. It comes apart with the inspiration and motivation works together to do that stuff. You know, to do what we got to do. Yes. Now, has, has it ever come to a point where you come up with so many ideas that you just have to just start writing all this stuff down and keeping it to just to keep yourself on track for you know what you're working on at this time? Well, I do that. I mean, I've got folders, you know, stuff that I've wrote down. Usually, I keep a, uh, a notepad with me at all times. So if I think of a funny line or I think of a funny idea, I'll write it down. And then, you know, I'll, I'll throw it in the pile. And then toward when I'm time, getting time to write a script, I'll, I'll pull out all the stuff and see what I got and see where it can fit. I invested in a digital voice recorder. It's kind of like a dictation recorder. Um, because yeah. so, because this, this, this always happens to me. When I need the digital voice recorder, I don't have it. So, like, I, I have to take, like, a scrap piece of paper and, like, start writing stuff down and pray I don't lose it. Or when I have the digital voice recorder, the battery's dead. So I just need to just go ahead and just put like a, a block of post-it notes in my pocket and just call it a day. But I will say, I'm parked outside of McDonald's here, right? Right. And uh, while we were talking here, this homeless dude just came up and 
dug through the trash here and grabbed a bag and started eating out of it and walked away eating from it. So um, that that's there you go. That that is a PKD black box uh, firsthand experience right there, sir. <laughs> so there you go, folks. <laughs> wow, <laughs> um, that's something live on the air right here. Yes, yeah. I just sat here watching the whole thing. It's great. Wow. Holy. Oh boy. <laughs> I almost offered him. I almost offered him my food. I should have should have done that. Um, okay. Okay, here's my next question. The, the, the whole eating, homeless person eating the, the sandwich out of the, wow. <laughs> that's still, that's just mind-blowing. <laughs> you know, because it's, it, it's, stuff that you, it's stuff that you hear about, but the, the actual chance that you see that, like in my town, I live in Lexington, and there are homeless people in Lexington, but the chances Ooh. of seeing that in Lexington are pretty slim. But, um, yeah. so you actually... Having somebody say that say that that actually happening on the other side is just mind blowing. But uh, <laughs> well, you you haven't been to San Diego Comic Con yet, have you? No, I haven't. Oh, dude, that is the that is the the homeless person mecca. They are everywhere, oh. and they will be eating out of everything and begging for everything. So, oh, really? When you go out there, you'll see what you'll see what I mean. Oh my! <laughs> I, I I best prepare in a couple prepare. of years. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, prepare and don't carry any change with you. They'll hear it. Okay, got no, no. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> wow. Oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> Here's my next question for you. Okay, I yeah. noticed on Twitter a few days ago, and I've I've seen it on a, a few of your um, Twitter posts. You talk about the movie Metropolis, and yeah. um, and it's some. I guess it's something from what I can tell that's very uh, inspirational to you, or it's just something that you truly enjoy. Can you explain to me like the the reason why you enjoy that movie so much. I think I discovered it because I discovered it in, in college. When I originally went to college, I was going to go into graphics, but the graphics program sucked. So then I decided to go into film. I wanted to become a film director. And, but the, uh, the college I went to didn't really have a very good program for that. It was mostly genre studies and film theory. But those things kind of helped me write in the comics, you know, uh, especially, you know, the three-act structure and the, you know, watch things repeated and emphasize that type of stuff. You know, stuff that movies do, you know, that, that basically in the comics do the same thing. Um, so that stuff helped me, you know, especially with all the genres and everything I had, I had to study. Uh, but one of the first films we watched was Metropolis, and we watched what's called the Giorgio Moroder version, which is, uh, it has an 80s soundtrack with people like Adam Ant, Pat Benatar, and Bonnie Tyler, people like that in it. And it was it was uh, put together by this guy named Giorgio Moroder, who did the music for uh, like Top Gun and uh, Scarface and stuff like that. And it was partially colorized. And I just got, I get really into movies and TV and music and and learning little factoids about them and how things are put together. You know, I, I really dig on that stuff. So uh, Metropolis, I don't know, it just it's really reached me, and I really dug it. Not that you know it had a great message or anything, but you know, me being a sci-fi nerd. You know, and it's one of the, you know, among the first full-length sci-fi movies. You know, it's just, it's, it was super cool. Um, now, I know that movie was directed by Fritz Lang, and, um, and, and I remember as a kid hearing about it and, and, you know, seeing, like, pieces of the version with, you know, with the 80s rock music and stuff like that, but I didn't understand yeah. it, so it kind of freaked me out because you had this current music in a film that was uh, made in, like, the late 1920s, early 1930s. So uh -huh. that was a pretty expensive silent film when that was made. I oh, mean, yeah. That, that was pretty expensive. So that whole 
film, that, I guess that film, I guess you could say, was the beginning of the dysto- dystopian uh, urban sci-fi uh, film genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it gave way, you know, many, many years later to movies like Blade Runner and Dark City, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. You know, it just, it always just like as a kid freaked me out. But then again, everything as a child freaked me out after I saw Alien. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, yeah, because that but for film, me it was a thing. Yeah. Oh, oh, see, my my dad. <laughs> I got a funny story about that. My there yeah. used to be a, a cable channel called On TV. Yeah. Basically, it was a box that you connected to your television, and when you turned it on, you could watch this cable channel on TV, which played movies and uh, sometimes some uh, certain anime cartoons. And when you were done, you turned it off. So you you paid for you paid for it when you turned it on. Period. And and if not, you just watch regular television. Well, one time the thing was on. My my dad was just watching me while my mom was uh, visiting uh, relatives and whatnot. And my dad was like, "Do you want to watch this?" I'm like, "No." I, you know, I was a kid. I was like, "That's probably scary. I don't want to mess with it." Especially after being convinced that Alien was like Star Wars, which put me right in front of the TV. And then come to find out, it wasn't like Star Wars, and it scared the living bejesus out of me. I didn't sleep for three days. So <laughs> <laughs> that is one scary puppy. Let me tell you. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh, um, yeah, try to freak the hell out when uh when it still when, freaks me out. Oh yeah, well it plays with Alien plays with with not only outer space but just space in general. You you feel very confined and claustrophobic in a lot of those scenes. Okay. I don't know why that you when you go to search for it at Best Buy or something, you never find it in, in the sci. It's always in the sci-fi section, but it's a horror movie. You know? Right. Oh right. It, it, I, 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 you can definitely qualify it as a horror film, and and also, Ooh. but at the same time, the main reason why it's in the science fiction section is because that film is honestly pure science fiction. It's not, and this isn't a slight or diss at Star Wars because Star Wars is a pop pop culture phenomenon, whereas Alien was just straight up science fiction, but it just scared the living shit out of you. Mm-hmm. But um, back to the thing, the story about the thing. Well, my dad, when my dad was like, "Where do you want to watch?" I was like, "No, it's okay. I'll just go upstairs and I'll just play with my toys. I'm okay." And but then <laughs> I felt bad. I was like, "Well, I don't want my dad watching this movie by himself." Now, granted, he's a grown ass man, and he doesn't need me to watch this movie with him. I said, "Ah, oh, screw it. I'll watch it with him." Yeah, that was a bad move, dude. Bad move. <laughs> you can go back in time and change one thing. That's what you change. Oh, I changed a couple of things, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but but that was definitely but that would be one of them. Oh, that would definitely be one of them. <laughs> You've done a lot of self-publishing. You've done a lot of comics. Now, you're currently working on some new stuff right now, if uh, memory serves me right. And could you tell us what, what you're working on right now? Well, right now, uh, Pleasant Life is pretty much uh, finished. Uh, I finished the last trade book last year. So now I've started a new series, a miniseries called Anapocalypse, which is a um, gal, sort of a strong female lead. And uh, she basically is surviving in southern Texas about a month or two after the bombs have dropped. You know, most of the, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the post-apocalyptic movies from the 80s. Most of those, you know, everybody's already, you know, got the Mad Max cars and they all look like punks and they're wearing, you know, the, the, the football helmets and the, and all that kind of stuff. Stuff hasn't really hit the fan yet as far as this goes. And humanity's starting to scatter and sort of figure out what's going on. And that's where my story takes place. And it also has a little bit to do with uh, faith and uh, how people think God would fit into uh, the end of the world, hmm. you know, as, as they know it. 
a question of faith and, and, you know, basically where they, you know, what they think a savior is and all that. But, um, it's very much sort of like a, a Mad Max with a female, you know, there's a, you know, I think Anna is a great character that I, I've been wanting to write for a long time. And, uh, it's a, a completely 180 from anything else I've ever done. Cause most of my stuff is sort of slice of life, comedy slash drama. This is a straight up violent horror book. I mean, there's some horrible things that happen to people in these, in this book. So I'm ready to blow people's minds with what they've expected from me. <laughs> you know, as far as the format of how this book is, um, this is, this is definitely a color comic, but are you, yeah. are you going to do this in a, in like, say for instance, is this like a bi-monthly, a quarterly, or will this be like trade trade sized, or will it be just like a standard uh, 24 page comic or what will be your method of getting this uh, comic out to the people? Well, this is 24 pages. It's going to be a three-issue miniseries. And it's like you said, it's in color. It's the first time I've ever colored my own work. And uh, i got to say, I'm, I'm sort of the, uh, the way I just slap it together and sort of do a crash course training in how to color pages, it, it, didn't, it, it turned out really good. I'm pretty surprised. And a lot of the feedback I've gotten from artist buddies of mine who are, who are experts in their field of coloring really have enjoyed what I've done to it. And that's pretty sweet to feel that. So I think I think from now on I'm never going to do another black and white comic ever again. But um, yeah, I'm going to taking them to the to the shows this year, and I'm also you know they're available through my website at idiothead.com, and I think that's pretty much all I'm going to do with it. I might do another miniseries later on down the road, you know, depending what happens in the end of this first one. If they all live, who knows? You got to pick it up to find out. There you see, perfect selling point. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been in this business a long time. I know. oh no i understand i understand completely now you also live in the world of uh, freelance artistry yeah now i you know personally i i haven't experienced that i mean i work it for a living but like i i run pkd media and write comics in the hopes that one day it will be my full-time job but your side is different than my side what is the world of freelance artistry like um it's tough. It's a tough life, you know. Uh, like, you no, know, I have. I still have a day job, you know. But mm-hmm. my wife, luckily, I have a very understanding and loving wife who uh, supports me and, and understands what I have to do. So, she's the one that sort of has stepped up and and makes the most money out of our home, and she allows me to do what I got to do. So, I, I guess super kudos to her for that. So, there's that. So, if you're gonna get becoming into to uh, full to freelance stuff, you know, you're going to have a partner that's very understanding with what you got to do. So that's number one. Number two, I'd say you get total freedom to do anything you want and you get to choose how you want, how do you want to approach it? You know, are you going to do it with commissions? Are you going to get, you know, create a buzz about your work? You know, you're pretty much free to do any project with anybody you want and, and all that. But also, you know, you're, you're free and in the open to when that pie in the sky deal comes or whatever you consider that is, uh, you know, you're free to take it. And and that, that's that's a really good position to be in than being locked into something you're not really comfortable with or you're doing it just for the money and you know you end up hating it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know people in the industry that work for certain companies that hate it. You know, it's like, well, dude, I I would love to have your job. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I feel that comics and you know just media entertainment as a whole um, is where I is where I want to be. I just have to keep plugging away. And just uh, until I get to that destination, you know what I mean? 
and yeah, yeah. and and you have to stay determined, and you have to you you definitely have to stay determined. And that's the one thing I've noticed about doing uh, comics over the past few years. I've seen a lot of people that just talk, and they don't do anything. But I've seen yeah. many, I've seen many that have literally nothing, and I mean nothing but the shoes on their feet and the clothes on their back, and they're still producing material. I it, it, it amazes me. It amazes me that all it takes, honestly, is just drive, determination. And and for a lot of people, the only thing they do is just ask others, hey, how did you do this? How did you do that? Or can you at least point me at the right door and I'll take care of the rest? And all it takes is that yeah. first step. Absolutely. I mean, me starting out, I got tons of uh, advice from tons of different people. So what I did was, since I kept getting the same questions now, I compiled them all into sort of this PDF type of book that I let people download for free for my website. It's a book called uh, In the Trenches, How to Survive as a Small Press Comic Book Publisher. Mm-hmm. And uh, people can go to my website and download that for free and get, you know, everything, my thoughts on conventions and, and you know, how to do a book and all that stuff. I mean, basically everything that everybody ever told me and then the experiences that I've had put together. Um, I, th- I think anybody doing this can feel this, can tell you the same type of stuff I've told you. Boy, some of the stories some of my friends have told me is just enough to make you want to cry and just pack up your box and go home. But um, mm, you know, absolutely. But it's just one of those things where this is the type of industry where you have to be determined to do what you need to do. And as positive as a lot of people within the industry are, there are like with any industry, there are those that want to knock you down too. But the funny, mm-hmm. the funniest thing I know is about about the comics industry is that it's. You know, art is something that's very subjective. What may be appealing to one person may not be appealing to the next, but comics are only a small percentage of the overall media market as a whole. So you would think that people within the comics industry, whether it be big press, small press, indie press, whatever, you think there would be more communication, more collaborative effort, more um, people helping each other. And then to a point there are, because I, I look, I've been lucky. I've been able to work with a lot of wonderful people and, uh, you know, we've been able to move forward and do a lot of things, but I've also have had friends that have dealt with people that just really either a put them in bad situations or B just there, they weren't very, they weren't extremely, extremely supportive. So I, I just find it, I just, I've always found it intriguing and interesting how an industry that is small can be so, I don't want to say shady, but it can it can be cold at very cold at times. Yeah, but the other, the other hand is if you stick with this long enough, you sort of gain that sort of family aspect, and when you go to the shows, you know you see each other again, and you are supportive of each other's work. It's it's a really cool feeling. Perfect example. Um, at Heroes Con in two thousand and nine, I was at my booth. I, I, I had a booth with um, Dave DeWanch, uh, Super Ugly, and Chad Ciccone. And I was selling books, and the other three guys are artists, so you know they were just doing their thing. I'm just trying to sell comics because I, I'm a writer. I mean, you can commission me $5, I'll write you a paragraph. That's the best I can do for you. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I was just selling comics, and there were these two girls that, like, walked past the table, and one of them had, like, this sketch of Captain Kirk on the bridge of the uh, Starship Enterprise. And this is classic Star Trek, not, not, movie, not movie Trek Kirk, but old school Kirk cool and i saw it and i looked and i was like that's pretty cool and but they had walked past and a customer stopped by so i was talking with the customer for a while and then i said you know what i gotta find out who did that drawing so i you know so like i was trying to find him and i finally found him i said excuse me i was like who did that drawing of captain kirk and they're like 
oh well we can't remember that person's name but that person's over there just you know f- you know and we'll show you and they pointed me to you and that's the that's the that, <laughs> and that's the first time i met i met you and i asked for a wonder woman uh, a wonder woman sketch and then you did a really yeah. good, you did a really good job on it and and you know it's just funny how like that all works out and then i saw you at the pittsburgh comic con in september i'm like wait a minute i remember that dude i'm like that's i was like that's adam from uh, from heroes con and like you're literally like right across from me i'm like it, it's yeah. it's such a small world <laughs> it just it cracks me up yeah it is i was about to say that uh if she if it was a captain kirk commission it had to have been me to draw it <laughs> i can't imagine anybody else been requested to do that I love Trek. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know everything about Trek. Did you ever watch the Star Trek uh, animated series? Yes. Did you like it? Yeah. I mean, it's cheesy. Oh, oh, it's, it's classic filmation cheesiness. Um, yeah. There, because I guess now you can get it. You can get that whole series on the cheap at Walmart, and I was. So, yeah, I did. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Yeah, I got it. Oh, how how does it look? How does it look on DVD? Did they uh, clean it up? Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's as good as it's gonna get. Um, I just recently picked up the Blu-ray box set of season two of the original series, and um, they've got there was an episode of the cartoon where they brought back the Tribbles, and I haven't seen that on the Blu-ray yet to see if like you know it looks any cleaner than that, but you know I'm, I'm sure it does. Now on the Blu-ray sets, are those with the updated special effects, or do or do they give you an episode like like say for instance you have the choice of the original broadcast or the or the new effect broadcast, or is it just new new special it's effects? Both. Oh really? You, you can even switch. You can even switch between. Say you're watching it in the old style, and you're like, you know, I wonder what the up, what that shot looks like in the update. You can just switch it right there. That is fantastic. So, See now without having to pause it. Yeah. That makes me want to go buy it. And if I wasn't broke, I would. <laughs> That's the reason why I bought an HD DVD is because Paramount released uh, that on HD, and Paramount was the sole supporter of uh, HD. And then when AC lost, I was so bummed out. But you know, I switched to Blu-ray just just for Trek. You know, oh no, I, I'm that hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I completely understand. When Sony basically walked up to Walmart with a ton of cash and said, "Make Blu-ray, make Blu-ray the standard," and Walmart made the announcement that they were only carrying Blu-ray from here on out, HD DVD mm-hmm. died completely. I, I personally felt that there was a market for both, but at the same time. If people don't really understand the technologies, how can either survive? Exactly. And uh, I mean, I was one of those people. I have an Xbox 360, I, and I got an HD DVD player for um, for add-on for the Xbox for about a hundred bucks. No more than two months after mm-hmm. it came out, I got a really great deal, and I got a couple of HD DVD movies. I I have the entire uh, Born trilogy, Jason Born trilogy, and it also came with King Kong. I wow. t- to to this to this day, I have yet to watch King Kong in its entirety. Like I'll watch the first half and I'll fall asleep. Then I'll watch the second half and fall asleep. There are pieces of it I like. There are pieces of it I like, but there are also pieces of me that makes me say this movie really needs an editor. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I really liked HD DVD, DVD though. But now we have a Blu-ray player too, so it's like, well, yeah, I can go somewhere and maybe find some HD DVDs for like five bucks a pop. But it's just it's one of those. I sold, I sold mine on eBay. Oh, nice. Very nice. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, dude, it's it's no worries. I'm broke anyway. It's not like I'm I'm I make comics. I don't have time to buy nothing. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. Uh, now you're also a really big Ghostbusters fan, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, 
like um, we had an episode a while back where we talked about Ghostbusters and myself with the Comic Team yeah. podcast. Now, as far that. as as far as Ghostbusters go, what is it that you love about it so much? I think it's just it's the '80s movie because it's it's not exactly a comedy, but it's 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 a comedy and an action movie and a horror movie. Sometimes I mean, some of that stuff's kind of scary. To this day, you know, the library ghost still gives me the willies, you know. But just the dynamic—I mean, Bill Murray, everything he does—and then uh, my favorite, my favorite Ghostbuster is always Egon. I just read deadpan responses. Just, just brilliant. I love that whole movie, and uh, I don't know anybody that doesn't dig it. I don't, I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I know. I, I just remember going to the movies, being taken to the movies to go see Ghostbusters, and you know, being freaked out at some of the ghosts, but. You know, eventually I got over it, but yet to this day I still haven't gotten over Alien. There's some, there's there must be some type of mental <laughs> mental block somewhere, but um, it's it's an all time classic, and that was before, you know, they were experimenting with you know new special effects technologies, but you still had those effects where you would get like you know the matte paintings on on screen, you know, and, yeah. and all and all that other all those other types of special effects where it wasn't a hundred percent CGI based. Yeah. There was just something about the way movies were made. And I don't want to be like, oh, they were just made great back then, Cohen, because there were a lot of bad movies in the eighties and nineties. Please believe. Yeah. <laughs> so, but there was <laughs> there were there was something about how movies were constructed back then as opposed to how they're constructed now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm a hardcore film buff, and I don't know, modern movies just don't really gel me like they used to. You know, I, I like you know things like Lord of the Rings and stuff. You know, and that that's that's great. But you know, give me Harryhausen. You know, give me. Uh, you mean the dudes who worked on Ghostbusters, you know? Yes. Um, I'll take it. Now, like for me, because like I, I've watched all types of films, and sometimes I go in phases. Like say, for instance, like right now, I'm not really in, mood, in a mood to watch dramas. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, just not, I'm just not in the mood for it. I, I appreciate the genre. I love the genre, but I'm just not in the mood right now. What I'm all about right now is finding the, the good action movie. And, I, and a lot of people like, you know, laugh at me when I say this, but... There aren't really the there there next to no action heroes anymore. You know, you have people that are just very versatile actors. Like I said, I have no beef with Matt Damon because when Matt Damon plays Jason Bourne, he's freaking awesome. So I know he can do an action film, but he can also do serious yeah. stuff. But we don't have a lot of those action heroes anymore. Like to me, uh, Joey Alusio from the uh, Matt Neato said it best: Jason Statham is the last action hero. Yeah, I was just gonna bring him up. Him or uh, I don't. They try Vin Diesel in The Rock every now and then, but I don't know. Nah. Well, see, you know, it all depends on what movie you put The Rock in. Like The Rundown. Rundown was that. If The Rundown came out in 1988, that would have been a mega hit. It's just like it's just like a lot of the Jason Statham movies. I watch these. I'm like, these are really really 80s movies that were made with with today's technology. The, Mm -hmm. The way they're set up, the way they're written, the way they're paced. It's just cut out from the '80s template of filmmaking, and, you know. But it's just in, it's just in modern times. But you don't yeah. really get a lot of uh, action stars anymore. That's why you know you. I, I may not like all of Jason Statham's movies, but he he is who he is, and he'll do a serious film like The Bank Job, which is technically I don't want to call it a drama, but it's it's more of a it's a little bit of action, but it's more of it's just one of those um, bank heist films. It's a fantastic movie. I love that film. And I wish more people would have went to watch it, but I think people had the stigma of, oh, this is just going to be another transporter. This is going to be another war. 
you know now granted i won't talk about the movie he did oh for that what's that one filmmaker's name he's made all those really bad movies that never profited like the uh, blood rain film and uh oh um you're talking about yui bowl yes uh the movie uh in the name of the king jason statham Uh, burt reynolds i think ray liotta they're all in that movie it's like yeah dude it's bad it, it, it sounds awesome. It, it, it's bad. I had a friend of mine call me from the $2 movie theater, and he said he walked out 45 minutes into it. Oh, wow. You know. I, see, I love movies that are so horrible. You know? <laughs> That's why I'm a fan of the 80s. You yes. know? Love it. As far as conventions go, where can people see you this year? Oh, this year I'm going to be all over. I'll be at uh, Motor City Comic Con. That's in May, I think, 15th through 17th. Okay. And then you and I will be rocking the Heroes Con from June 4th to 7th. Yes. And then I think my next gig is going to be in Dallas at the Dallas Fantasy or Comic Show, whatever uh, whatever he calls it. It's at uh, SciFiExpo.com, I think. And uh, I think that's in August. August 20th, 29th, I think. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. And then we'll see if there's anything else toward the end of the year. But I, usually I do about three or four shows, and then I'm kind of done. Oh, no. <clears throat> no, that's that's completely understandable. I mean, I we're doing all of our cons literally four straight months in a row. Yeah, yeah. You get it all done in the summer, then, you know, you work during the, the winter months and the early spring months, you know, to get your stuff done in time for convention season, you know. Oh, yeah. the way I work. Oh, no, I don't blame you. Smart man for doing so. If I could, like, cut off my brain for at least uh, part of part of the year to make myself not try to start new projects while doing old projects, I'd be okay. Yeah. <laughs> you got to keep a schedule. Oh, I know, I know. And it's, it's something I've, I've definitely been learning, and I'm getting better at it. it. just For me, it always just takes time. As far as what your website goes, where can people, uh, like, check out your artwork or get to find out more about you? The best place to go is the hub for everything. It's my website at idiothead.com. I've got a DeviantArt page link there. I've got the Facebook and the Twitter. I, I try to be entertaining on Twitter and Facebook, so uh, people want to be entertained by my stuff, they can follow me. I've got free downloadable comics there. I have a, a podcast there that I usually do with my friends. You know, we just basically chat, chit-chat about it, whatever. And um, have a, uh, I do commentary tracks for my comics, you know, just some little extra for people to check out and, you know, after they read my my book, you know, just a little something extra. Anything to sell comics, you know? Yes. So, yeah, idiothead.com is the best place to get me. Cool. Well, this podcast will definitely spread the word of that. As always, uh, best of continued luck to you, Adam. I can't say thanks enough for coming on and, and being on the show. I will see you in June at Heroes concert. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll tie one on. Y- yes, we will. <laughs> All right. Hey, take good care, buddy. Yeah, take care, man. Thanks. All right. You're very welcome. And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is available via iTunes, or you can go to pkdmedia.com to get our show, check out our form, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, XO1 on the Rock Solid Steelbots, Agents of Colt, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store, six days a week for free. And if you're on iTunes or our forum board, drop us a line or email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard. <laughs>